one of our values, one of our uh, cultures we want part of the church or one of our plumb lines, however you want to phrase it, is that we want to be fully word and fully spirit. We believe in the authority of the word, but we also believe in the operation of the Holy Spirit. And we want to be both. We believe that the word and the spirit are like the two wings of an airplane. Which wing can you do without when you're flying at 30,000 feet? You can't. We need both. So the word is what God has said. The spirit is what God is saying and doing. And so what God is saying will always agree with what God has said. It gives us a uh, safety net so that we don't mix what we think with what the Holy Spirit's saying and develop some new crazy theologies. Having said that, we believe you can't be fully word without making place for the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot in the word about the Holy Spirit, and that's what I want to actually talk about today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost Sunday, got it, right? As you figured out, I always follow the religious calendar. <laughs> so you guys are saying, wait, I've never heard you. I don't preach about Christmas at Christmas time or Easter at Easter time. I was raised, as I've said before, in a fundamental church. And during the 1970s, yes, I'm that old. Hard to believe. I know that you're, you're struggling with that. Okay, let me be honest up front. Talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, we did last year. We're at the point that we're kind of repeating some of the foundational things that we laid into the church. Actually, it was Steve that, that spoke on the baptism of the Holy Spirit last year. Uh, I'll be honest, I preached everything I know, and I'm repeating. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You guys know that I started repeating six months ago. <laughs> Sorry, that's just one of those days. <laughs> I was raised in a, uh, a fundamental church during the charismatic outpouring of the 1970s. There were a number of people who had a hunger for more of God, who got filled with the Spirit, and... Uh, the pastor of the church I was part of actually was a cessationist and began to teach that all those things had actually died out with the apostles, and therefore anyone who spoke in tongues or did anything like that, it had to be of the devil. Now, I really respected the pastor, but I knew the people who had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I respected them and their love for God, and I kind of went, okay, what does the Bible say? Not what this pastor says, what does the Bible say? And uh, I began to take a look, and I want to share. I'm not going to get into cessationism, cessation meaning that things have ceased, for those of you who don't know that. If that's an issue for you, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to share with you biblically and historically where that comes from, but I don't think it's an issue for the vast majority of us, so I don't want to take the time this morning to, to deal with that, if that's okay. So if you have a question about that, or if it's an issue for you, come talk to me. I'm not ignoring it, I'm just wanting to move on. I want to talk about what the Bible says, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus saying to his disciples before he left, 
Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's actually referring to Joel chapter 2, which we'll see in a couple of minutes when we get to Acts, that, that they tied it into that. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Also my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's the promise of the Father. That's what he was referring to, and that's what they understood him to be referring to. But go with me to, to John chapter 16. Verse 7, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, whenever Jesus says that, he's just emphasizing the importance of something. He's not actually saying, every other time I lie to you. I'm telling you the truth. This, some of us do that. I mean, I, I really mean it this time. You know, he said, let your yes be yes and your no, no, meaning you don't have to actually add something. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do that. Yeah, no, no, I really will. I, I promise this time I'll do it. No, he always did. So when he says, I tell you the truth, he's actually just putting emphasis on something. He says this, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The helper, the one who comes alongside, that word in the Greek is parakletos, and it means one who's, who comes alongside to assist, to help. Uh, it's been translated a lot of different ways, encourager, comforter, but it literally means one who comes alongside to help you. Been translated friend, a lot of different things. But Jesus is actually saying, it's to your benefit that I go and I'm not here. I mean, if you were disciples, what would you think? I'm not sure that I believe you. Jesus, you're here. We've seen you. And he says, no, it's actually to your benefit. It's actually to your advantage that I leave. This Holy Spirit must be pretty amazing. Right? Chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's that word again, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom you cannot receive, because, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What a wonderful promise. Verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Back over in chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. And he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. 
pretty amazing when you just read those scriptures. The Father's going to give us a gift, which is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it's to your advantage. As a young believer, reading the Word, I began to say, eh, maybe there's more to this than what the pastor of the church I was raised was telling me. Back over in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witness to me, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. This is Jesus saying after he rose from the dead. So in looking at this, I could see that one, this is a gift from the Father, that Jesus says is to, for our advantage or our good. All of a sudden, I began to say, okay, maybe I shouldn't be anti-Holy Spirit. So let's look at the rest of Acts. There are five occurrences in Acts talking about the outpouring or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I am a technical marvel. I'm just wanting you to know that. So I've, I've written this out on a whiteboard because I don't know how to do it on here. <laughs> so I need, uh, Johan, if you just bring the, turn the whiteboard around and bring it over here. I want to take a look at what the... Oh, we're getting serious. <laughs> yes. First, firstly, we still have a whiteboard here. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. In the 70s, it was chalkboards. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole place they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So, we're going to take a look at a number of things with, with, which, with each of these. Sorry. I get excited, and I try and talk fast. Okay, there's often a question. Is the filling of the Holy Spirit with salvation or after salvation? And so at this point, it seems to be after salvation. Okay, there was something of, of them followers, as followers of Jesus already. He had, they believed in him. He was raised from the dead. But were they baptized? There's no indication in this scripture or previous that they were baptized. Was there laying on of hands? No. But did they speak in tongues? Yes. Now, if you stop there, you would draw some conclusions. But we want to see everything the Bible says about this. So the next one is Acts chapter 8. This is a story of uh, moving of God in the city of uh, in Samaria. And from verse 14, 
It says, Now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they had come to them, when they come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, as yet, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw through the laying on of hands, it goes on about his situation. So what do we see? Is it after salvation? Yes. Were they baptized? Yes. Was there laying on of hands? Yes. Was there speaking in tongues? Not recorded there. Acts chapter 9. Don't, don't draw a conclusion until we get to the end. Verse 17. This is about Saul. Had, uh, Jesus had appeared to him. Uh, you know the story. Uh, he became a follower of Jesus in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. This is Ananias that had a, was praying and the Holy Spirit appeared to him in a vision and said, go pray for this guy named Saul, Paul, and Ananias said, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> He's killing Christians. <laughs> but he was obedient. Went his way, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. Okay. Is this after his conversion? Yes. Was he baptized prior? No. He did get baptized afterwards, right? Uh, was there laying on of hands? Yep. And did he speak in tongues? Not there. I'm going to add 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 18 here. Just so you know, because Paul says there, he speaks in tongues more than all of you. So eventually he did speak in tongues, but there's no recording that he did at the time of uh, his infilling with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 10 turns everything on its head. From verse 44, this is God had sent Peter to Cornelius' household. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Let me tell you, Peter's telling the story and he gets verse 43. It said to him, all the, the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. He finally got to the point that they could respond, and they obviously did. They were waiting to hear the gospel. He eventually gets to the point they respond. They do, and then, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and glorify God when Peter, uh, glorify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized? 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. So, is this after their salvation? No, it's at their salvation. Were they baptized? No. Was there laying on of hands? No. All the stuff that we would have expected was happening didn't happen. But did they speak in tongues? Yes. One more. Acts 19. This is in Ephesus. Paul comes to Ephesus and he finds these believers. Uh, and he came and he said, They've been baptized in John's baptism. Uh, they believed in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 5. And then Paul had laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So, last one real quick. Is it after salvation? Yes, it is. Were they baptized? Yes, they were. Was there laying on of hands? Yes, there was. Did they, pro did they speak in tongues? Yes, they did, and they prophesied. Okay, if you can't see that, you can write this down later. What conclusions can we draw from all of this? See, we can't pick and choose the parts we like or that fit our theology. We have to say, okay, what can we draw from all of this? What we can draw from this is often the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace after salvation. But not always. It can happen at salvation. You can't say it always happens at salvation because four out of the five didn't. You can't say it's always a second work of grace because at least one of them it wasn't. Very simple. I hope this isn't stepping on your theological toes. Actually, I hope it is. <laughs> the, the Bible steps on our toes all the time. Second conclusion we can draw is that you don't have to be baptized in water prior to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many people are. You receive Jesus and you immediately get baptized, but baptism is not a prerequisite. Why am I telling you this? Because my fundamental background had all these rules. Some of you have come from religious backgrounds that have very different rules. We can conclude that sometimes there's a laying on of hands. But not always. It's not the laying on of hands that releases the Holy Spirit into someone. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and often, there is some evidence. Well, always there was some evidence. Often the evidence is speaking in tongues, which is the language of the Spirit. But not always. For those of you who come from a different background, let me tell you this. Speaking in tongues is not the evidence that someone's filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It is an evidence, but it's not the evidence. Now, there's two reasons for that. One is that not everyone that we see spoke in tongues. But two, there is a counterfeit of the devil. Just because someone speaks in tongues doesn't mean they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary and I lived in South Africa for a number of years. We worked with an Indian community. A number of Hindus get into a ecstatic trance, which is really demonized, and they speak in tongues. Let me tell you, it's not the Holy Spirit. So just because someone speaks in tongues doesn't mean they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now my belief is because it's the language of the Spirit, everyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit can speak in tongues. But they don't have to. We're going to talk about that more next week. Okay? We're going to actually spend a bigger time on tongues. I don't want to get sidetracked with that. If that's an issue for you, just come back next week. So there is some evidence, but it's, it's not always. And so we can't make that the issue. The issue is the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? Okay. Somebody shake your head or something. How is someone baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. One of my uh, favorite scriptures. I say that about every scripture in the Bible. Okay. It's not Mark 11. I wrote it down wrong. Huh? That wasn't it. Nope. So, someone find for me where uh, Jesus uh, says, you being good fathers, give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Some of you have a, uh, a search function. Matthew. 7-Eleven. Sounds like a, uh, a convenience store. Nope, that's not it. Sorry, Matthew. As I'm looking at Mark. Okay, this is, we're, we're doing this together. Come on. Is that it? Okay, that, that's, that's, that's one aspect, but that's not the one I'm looking for. Okay. Huh? Isn't that what I originally said? Where? Luke 11, 13. I wrote down Mark instead of Luke. I apologize. I had the 11, 13. Right. Thank you, guys. 
says this, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In uh, verse 11, it says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? He's talking about contrasting us as human fathers with the heavenly Father who will much more give us the Holy Spirit for those who ask. How is someone baptized in the Holy Spirit? First and foremost, you simply ask. Okay, someone doesn't do it for you. You have to actually have to ask. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Too often we think, oh, well, if someone else just prays for me. There is, laying on of hands can be part of it. Someone can pray with you, but it actually comes down to you asking. God won't force himself on anyone. He doesn't make you do something. So you have to ask. And then you have to surrender and receive. A few years after the church I was raised in, the pastor talked about uh, the cessation of the moving of the Holy Spirit. I obviously left that church eventually, and I was a few years later was in university, and I had taken a job during the summer teaching tennis. I was a tennis player, played ten- tennis and basketball, and traveled ac- across the country from California to New York to a camp where I taught tennis. Now, I had this desire to share Jesus with everyone in the camp. I wanted people to get saved. This is a, a trip. I've already felt called of God to ministry, and I go to this camp, and while everyone knew that I was a Christian, nobody got saved. And I went back to uh, Los Angeles, was praying one day in my dorm room one night saying, God, I read Acts. I've seen the need for the Holy Spirit. You says I'll receive power and I'll be your witnesses. I need help. I need power. I need the Holy Spirit. And alone in my dorm room, I began to pray and I said, God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Gone through a number of years of looking at scripture, reading a lot of books, identifying why the church I had grown up in and the teaching was not biblical, taking me quite a while. But I finally came to the point, I said, God, I want this. And right then, the Holy Spirit came upon me. No one laid hands. It was after I was saved. I had been baptized. There was no laying on of hands, but I did speak in tongues. So if I put me on the bottom there, little check marks, many of you would have similar experiences. Bottom line is, it's to our benefit. A number of years ago, I was teaching at a Youth with a Mission base in Brazil. Youth with a Mission, uh, Mary and I had been part of Youth with a Mission for years, but we had relationship with some leaders, and uh, the leader of YWAM Brazil had asked us to come. Our church was involved in helping them do some things, and he asked me to, to teach on the Holy Spirit. Now, because at the time, Youth with a Mission was working with a lot of different denominations, they didn't want to actually have any of their staff 
teach on the Holy Spirit because they didn't want to actually take a stance on the Holy Spirit and maybe alienate other denominations. So their, their way was to bring guests in. And I was there and I shared this very thing. And I said, how many of you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And probably a third of the room. There were probably 200 students at the time. Many of them having never heard about the Holy Spirit. If we're not filled with the Spirit, what we have is a lot of work. There's a lot of a weight that rests on us to, to accomplish things. There's a reason why the Father said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. It's a promise, a gift. There's a reason why Jesus said it's to our advantage. Because the Holy Spirit leads us in truth, brings revelation, brings us remembrance, empowers us, walks alongside us and helps us when we don't know what to do. Let me tell you, God never intended anyone to live a Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And when we try it, there's such a weight. We're having to do everything on our own strength. If you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit, we want to give you an opportunity today. I'm going to ask you all if you would stand. <clears throat>